Pastor Chris's podcast. So we have been studying about the power of God that transforms us and helps believers be filled with the Holy Spirit and have certain special talents to help transform our world. The Holy Spirit gives everyone who follows Jesus Christ a special gift. Romans chapter 12 verses 6 through 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit gives some the gift of prophecy, others the gift of serving or teaching or encouraging or giving leadership or kindness. And today we will consider the spiritual gift of giving. I want to read to you from Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 6 through 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 through 8. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I was a when I was a, a youth counselor at East Cobb United Methodist Church, I was uh, just not long out of high school, um, 21, 20, 21 years old, 22 years old, and um, God laid it on my heart to help volunteer with the youth program at East Cobb United Methodist Church. One of the first uh, forays into serving in the church as an adult, uh, as a young adult. And uh, I loved it. I had so much fun working with the kids. Um, they seemed to get, you know, to be to, to be to get some benefit from me being there. I wasn't in charge. I was just a volunteer that worked there. We had a, a great youth pastor who led the program. And so I was just there to be able to hang out with the kids and get to know them and, and kind of encourage them. And it was wonderful for me and hopefully for them. But that youth group also liked to take trips, just like we do. Every year they would take a, a ski trip, and they would take a trip to the beach in the summertime. They had several camping trips that they would go on. And, of course, all of the kids had their parents that would pay a fee so that it would help pay for the trip. Um, the youth pastor, he was on staff, so his fee was covered. And here I was, 21 years old, in college, uh, you know, away from home, um, trying to somehow eke away through college and all that. I didn't have any money to pay for this, and I didn't have any parents to pay for me. So there was no way that I could go on these youth trips, except that in that church, there were several people who would anonymously give so that if there were any youth or if there were any counselors that couldn't pay to go on the trip, their fee would be covered. And so I was able to go on all of those trips, which were, which were a lot of fun, but even more than that, they were a wonderful chance to spend focused time with those kids in the youth program, to really build relationships with them and to get to know them, and really to spend focused time letting God work on me as well. As I was serving, you see, God was helping me to grow as well. I never would have been able to do that if it had not been for those anonymous donors that made those payments. Because those trips could be... You know, a ski trip could be $300, a week-long beach trip could be more, and um, so there's no way in the world I could have done that. And I don't even know who 
paid that money because it was anonymous. It was anonymously given. I don't know who to thank, but I think back, you know, at the time, that was just money I didn't have to spend. And I don't know what was in the heart or on the minds of those people, but you think about paying $300, $500 for someone you don't know um, to go on a trip and, and never being thanked for it might have seemed like a, a big, big responsibility. I don't know. But I think about what a difference that made. Um, what an investment. Because, you know, for me, it helped me grow tremendously. I probably might not be standing here today as a pastor had it not been for someone who seemed to be paying a big fee, $300, $500, whatever it was. And what about all of those youth and, and how they were blessed? What about all of the different people that have, you know, that have been touched by my ministry over the last 25 years? Um, you can't put a price on that. But somebody was willing to give and it made all the difference. It transformed me. It transformed my family because we grow up as a ministry family. Um, what an amazing thing. Every Christian is called to give. It is built into the very identity of the Christian faith. Jesus paid the ultimate price by dying on the cross in our place. Christ gave his life to save us from sin and death. And to offer us eternal life with God. We become, when we become a Christian, we surrender to God. That's how we become a Christian. We admit that we are sinners who desperately need the saving grace of God. We repent of our sin, primarily the sin of thinking and acting as if our life belonged to us. When in fact, our life really belongs to God because he made us. And he gave us a purpose and he means for us to live it out, not following our own designs and plans. So when we become a Christian, we repent and we give our life to Jesus, God's one and only son. Jesus talked about money a lot in the New Testament. Most people don't realize it, but Jesus talked about money more than he talked about prayer, more than he talked about sin or heaven or hell. He talked about money so much because Jesus knew how much people value money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 21. In other words, if your heart truly belongs to Jesus because you've surrendered your life to him, then the things you treasure most deeply, including your money, will be devoted to him as well. And so a quick test to see how much you treasure Jesus is just to look at your finances. What do you spend your money on? How much is on yourself? How much is on others? How much is given directly to the things that really matter to Jesus Christ? The biblical standard for giving throughout the Bible is 10%. It means, uh, in other words, um, if you earn $50,000 a year, that's the average income, I think, in Whitfield County. If you earn $50,000 a year, you would give $5,000 to Jesus through the church. That's called the tithe. That's what tithing means. It was the law in the Old Testament. And Jesus confirmed that people should tithe in the New Testament in Matthew 23, 23. And so I encourage all of you to tithe 
And there are two main reasons. First of all, it will bless the church. If every family here at Pleasant Grove actually gave a tithe, we would have no trouble with our finances, none whatsoever. We would even have money to pay off our mortgage, to pay all of our bills. We have plenty left over to do all kinds of incredible ministry. Uh, youth ministry, children's ministry, senior ministry. We have money to, to help people in the community that were in need. And the simple fact is the church cannot reach its full potential because all of God's people don't give what they're supposed to give. Um, I think the average Christian in the United States gives about 2 or 3% of their income actually to the church. So you can just imagine if every person in the congregation did that, gave 10% the extra money that would be available for ministry. And that's just a simple truth. That's just a plain cold hard facts. But there's another reason besides blessing the church that you ought to give. And it's this, it will bless you. Giving the tithe is a spiritual discipline that is every bit as important as prayer, reading your Bible, attending worship, and serving. You cannot grow the way God wants you to grow if you don't pray. You cannot grow the way God wants you to grow if you don't read your Bible. And you cannot grow the way God wants you to grow if you are not giving. Period. That's just the way it is. So if you aren't giving 10% of your income to God through His church, I encourage you to start. Maybe you don't think that you have the money or the faith that you need to jump right into 10% giving. Then I would encourage you to start with um, a plan. How will you get to 10%? Make it a goal. Make it a serious goal for your life. I want to become a tither. I can't do it right now, but you can work your way to it. How, long will, you, how will you do it? How long will it take? Will it take a year? Would it take two years? Will it take five years? Come up with a plan. It can be done. I know it can be done. Because you remember that guy that I was telling you about at the beginning of the service? The one that had absolutely no money? That was me in my 20s with my wife Kelly. We had an, a combined income of maybe $10,000. And see, my parents and her parents weren't able to pay for our college. So we were doing it all our own. We were taking financial aid. We were getting it. You know, getting through it ourselves on $10,000 or less. And then God comes and says, hey, you should start tithing. I thought, how in the world? That's impossible. But the good thing about giving 10% is that if your income is little, your tithe is little. And so we started. Christians are called to begin with a tithe. And then to go further from there. Just because you are already giving 10% of your income doesn't mean you just cross your arms and proudly exclaim, I'm done. I give a tithe. I don't have to give anymore. Remember what the old hymn says? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Right? He gave it all. Therefore, always look for how you can give more to Jesus you will find that it is a great blessing to give, to invest in the kingdom of God. All Christians are called to give. However, just like some Christians have the gift of music or the special ability to preach, 
Other Christians are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God with the special ability to give in order to help transform our world. Those with the spiritual gift of giving have a special ability to understand the material needs of others and then give generously beyond the normal standard to meet those needs. A giver's basic motivation is to live frugally and save as much as they can so that they can give as much as they can to help as many people as they can and in as many ways as they can. Givers take special delight in figuring out needs that most people overlook and then going out and meeting those needs. Givers delight in find, to find less expensive ways to do things so that the church gets the most bang for their buck. Sometimes a giver's family might think that they're just cheap, too concerned about counting pennies. But the, peop but the people to whom they give think that givers are extremely generous. Saving resources brings a giver almost as much pleasure as giving them because they regard saving as the key that opens the door to even more resources. They seem to be able to accumulate savings even in hard times. And lastly, most givers prefer to stay out of the spotlight. They often give anonymously, just like that, those people that I told you about at East Cobb who helped youth and youth counselors go on trips. They find that their reward is knowing that God's kingdom is thriving because of their gift. Let me talk a little bit about some of the strengths and weaknesses of givers. Some people with a transforming gift of giving have, uh, they have some great gifts to offer the kingdom of God. They tend to avoid impulsive spending. They're very disciplined. More than those with other motivational gifts, givers expect to be held accountable and, and diligently hold others accountable. And we need that in the church. Givers are usually hard workers and tend to have conservative values. Givers may like to be personally involved in the lives of the people with whom they give support. Sometimes they just like to be anonymous. Givers manage their money well and hardly ever spend more than they make or incur debt. Givers love to motivate others to save and to give generously because they found it to be such a blessing in their own life. Now, there are also some things for which givers need to watch out, some weaknesses that they have. Sometimes a giver's efforts to conserve resources can de degenerate into just being plain cheap. <laughs> They might come to care more about the money than what the money can do for God's kingdom. Some givers need a strong, uh, so givers need a strong prayer life in order to know what God is doing and what God wants them to do. And also they need faith to give when God calls them to give, to spend on his kingdom work. Pride can become another great weakness for givers. They may be tempted to be proud of their great resources and their ability to influence people and things through their giving. So sometimes if they are offended, a giver may have a weakness that they would want to withhold their giving and use that as a weapon in order to uh, vent their feelings. They let their feelings interfere with what God is trying to do. 
with the opportunities that God has given them to give. Furthermore, givers can sometimes get too focused on an issue they see that, that is important and is a priority, but they get so focused on that one thing that they ignore other issues that may be important to others or may be more important to God and his kingdom. Do you have the spiritual gift of giving? Do you have a knack for saving money, both by putting it away and also by getting a good deal? Do you enjoy helping others more than spending on yourself? Are you a hard worker with integrity, able to be held accountable and help others be held accountable for the way we use the resources that God gives us? Are you using your spiritual gift of giving to have the greatest impact possible for the kingdom of God? As we get ready to close, to close, I want you to pray about that. And as we close, I want to share one more story. It's another story from, from a few years ago when I was a younger minister. I was about 26 years old and I was just starting out in the ministry. I was at a different church. I'd moved from East Cobb to Lithia Springs, and God called me into the ministry. And um, so after years of struggling to get through college, uh, to get out and, and get a degree and get a good job, a good paying job, I had a good paying job. I was working as the director of quality assurance at 1888 Mills, and then God called me to leave that career and go into the ministry. So I was back starting over again. We had, Kelly and I had our first child, Gavin. He was just a baby. And then uh, I began working as a youth pastor at Lithia Springs United Methodist. And uh, it was adequate pay, but it's not, not much. Part of my job was to lead worship for our church's youth group. And I had an old guitar that I used that was barely adequate. Barely adequate. And it seemed like just about every Sunday night when we had our youth program, we got up to play and I'd get about one song in, get on the second song, and a string would break. And I don't know if you've ever played a guitar, but when you break a string, it, everything's off. Everything's out of tune. And so the best I could do was just stop and pull out another string and put it on, and it'd take five minutes out of the service to restring it up. And then once you get it stringed up, especially on that old inadequate guitar, it, even once you get it strung up, it's not in tune anymore. And it takes, it takes a while for those strings to stretch out and get back in tune. So the whole service was off from that point on. And um, one of my volunteers, he was an older gentleman, um, Eddie. He called me up one day and he said, Chris, I want you, I just started, he just started playing guitar and I've been giving him lessons. And he said, Chris, I want you to meet me down at the guitar center. I need to buy a new guitar and I don't know which one to buy. Would you meet me down there? So we met down there that evening. He went in, he, we went in there and he says, I want you to, I want you to go over there. You know, they got all the guitars hanging on the wall. I said, you, I said, if money was not an issue, I want you to pick up one of those guitars and which one would you buy? I want you to play them all and figure out which one you'd buy. So I thought I'm picking out a guitar for him. I go over there and I know Eddie's got lots of money. Money is not an issue for him. I pick up all these guitars and start playing them and thinking, man, money was an issue. This is the one I'd get. And I showed him. He says, all right, I'm getting two of them. One for me, one for you. And that guitar was $1,500. And it sits right there. <laughs> it's the last, you know, 
I couldn't buy that guitar. I probably couldn't buy that guitar now. But he bought it for me. And he says, I don't want you to tell anybody about it. That's why I didn't tell you his last name. Because I didn't want, he don't want anybody to steal his treasures in heaven, is what he said. But you think about that. That was, uh, that was in 2001, I think. It's 2009. It's 18 years later. How, how many times have I played this guitar here in this service? Not just in this church, but in other churches as well. Because he was willing to give. He made an investment that at the time seemed like a huge investment. But it's been used and used and used. If you have the spiritual gift of giving, are you using it? Are you using it for the glory of God's kingdom? What kind of difference could you make in thousands and thousands of people's lives if you were using the gift God gave you? Be in prayer about that as we close our service. I invite the praise band to come back on up. And I'm going to pick up that guitar and I'm going to start playing. And uh, I hope it's a blessing. It has been to me for sure.